0: forward and all that he's calling us to do and all that he's made us for. And we do that by fellowshipping with him, by walking by our spirit. And we, this will be, I guess, the third message in this series. And uh, I, I understand that it is a, um, a new topic to many, and it's, it's something that I don't think is talked about enough in the body of Christ, is the, re- the reality of spiritual things and what those are. Spiritual things are often thought to be kind of like a fantasy, ethereal and out in the atmosphere somewhere. But that's not at all what Jesus taught. He said the kingdom of God is within you. Paul wrote in Romans that that, that it's it's as close as your mouth and your heart. Say it with your mouth and believe it with your heart. Spiritual things are more real, are more close to you than the chair you're sitting in. Spiritual things are more real and more close to you than the pants you have on right. and the shoes you're wearing. So it's, not a, it's, it's a matter of us renewing our mind to these terms that have become religified like spirit or spiritual. And, and we renew our minds daily so that we can know him more. So we're talking about letting your spirit, which is the innermost part of you, uh, where is it, the hidden man of the heart, is that in Timothy? that Paul wrote, talked about the hidden man of the heart. Your inner person, okay, your spirit, that's really who you are. Uh, your body is not who you are, that's just the suit that you're wearing right now. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Those are tools, that equipment that God has given you that is attached to your spirit, but those are not who you are. You are a spirit. And as you begin to learn about the, the truth of who you really are and that God is a spirit, that he made you in his image. And you, as you meditate in the word of God and believe the word of God, your spirit begins to rise to the surface in your life. And you'll begin to make decisions based on your spirit as opposed to how we used to make decisions based on our emotions based on our natural reasoning, based on our body. Now we're, we're new creations, and we're walking forward in life, being led by our spirit. And that, that's a change. It's a huge change. And if you're not used to it, it's a big change. And, it, and sometimes it feels kind of like, I don't know, you're getting on a bicycle for the first time. I remember when I got my first bike and had a banana seat. White, a white banana seat. This must. This is probably in the mid seventies. I don't know, and it's what. But I remember I had just a tiny little hill in our backyard, and I think I think my dad was home. me. Just let me go, and I just went down the hill and boom, right into the fence. You know, <laughs> that was my first experience on my bike. But God's not going to let you hit the fence. God's got you. But learning to walk by your spirit, it takes time. It takes patience. But it is it is worth. It is so worth it, yeah. so invest in this change in this new way of living invest in in learning to uh, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your life and learning to make decisions with the inner man of the heart, okay uh, most people don 't live this way, all right now the world, even the world understands this a little bit, not if we if we don 't use these terms, but uh, in fact, I remember talking with the owner of the warehouse, and a very nice man, and uh, not born again, very nice man, been very good to us, but when he talked to me before March began, and he said, uh, he talked to me about, you know, the zoning, and he said, I just feel in my gut that I need to get back to the original purpose of the property for offices and storage. He called it his gut. That's all he knew, right. but that was his spirit. Right. I knew that as he was telling me. I, I, I'm not going to argue with that, I just listen to the Holy Spirit myself, okay? He said, I feel in my gut. If I'm the owner of this property, we should go with this. So people in the world will use terms like that. They'll say, I just had a, a hunch, right? Well, we're talking about living by your spirit. The world gets, you, everyone, everyone at some point in their life will have their spirit trying to tell them something. The world doesn't understand that. They'll call it a hunch, a gut feeling, But that's really where the life is at. Now, if your spirit's separated from God, you're not going to be able to walk in that. You might sense it every now and then. But when your spirit's separated from God, you can't live by that. When your spirit's united with God, now the Holy Spirit's in you. Your spirit has the nature of God. Now you can walk by your spirit 24-7. And that's what we're focusing on. And I, I really feel this is very timely. We don't know what the next year holds. But I know if you can walk by your spirit, you'll be victorious. I know that. Because the Holy Spirit is united with your spirit, and he will lead you forward into the fullness of his plan. So it is worth your time and your patience to invest in this new way of living, walking by your spirit. Let's look at John 6.63. Again, this has been a text we've gone to each week. It's very powerful. The real you, your inner person, cannot be understood by psychology. I'm not against psychology. I'm just saying it, it falls short. There's a place for it. Okay, there's a place, but that's in the realm of the soul. Okay, there's a lot to the realm of the soul, and the realm of the soul is very important. But the, the, you cannot understand your true self... Apart from a relationship with Christ and, and His Word, knowing His Word, okay? It's impossible. You can try and create a, your own version of yourself and the world will affirm you as whatever you say you are. But that's not the real you. Because the world didn't make you. Okay? So the world cannot affirm you because they did not make you. Actually, no one can really affirm you other than the Father himself, because he's the one who created you. You want his affirmation on your life, okay? So uh, to understand the real you, you've got to be in a relationship with Christ and in a relationship with your hard copy Bible, okay? The Word of God, this is the spirit book. This is how we learn to walk by the Spirit. This is how we learn to know who we truly are. This is how we learn to know the one who made us. It's not from uh, lighting incense and, and humming. It's from knowing the Word, okay? There are a lot of romantic ideas of spiritual things that are just in the movies. But there's a reality of knowing Him that comes by studying His Word and believing it and acting on it. John 6, 63, Jesus walked in the Spirit. He is our example in this. And as he's ministering life to to the people around him, he says, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, the Word of God that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. Love that. Hallelujah. The the Passion Translation says, That which is of the natural realm is of no help. The words I speak to you are spirit and life, but there are still some of you who won't believe. Believing God's word is essential in in order to walk by your spirit. You can't not believe this and walk by your spirit. Can't be done. Just can't be done. Obviously, being born again is essential to walking by your spirit, having the Holy Spirit make your spirit new, declaring Jesus Lord of your life. But then you've got to get in his book, and you've got to spend time with it and let the truth of who he is uh, change your thinking, okay? And that's, that's a process, but you can't uh, throw some of this book away and still walk in the spirit. And there are people over the the centuries who have, they wanted to remove certain parts of the Bible because they didn't agree with it. And what they're doing is closing the door to a dimension of God in their life. I don't want to do that. I don't understand everything in this book. Uh, And there are times I've read this book where I felt like I just got slapped in the face. But I want him. I want him to confront me. I want him to rebuke me. I want him to correct me, because he's right, and if I don't agree with him, I'm wrong. Are we okay with that? I want to know when I'm wrong, and I want him to tell me, and he's good at that. He does it lovingly, right? And he'll, you'll know, okay, I know, something's going on, I need to shift here, right? He's gracious. He's a good good coach, good, good trainer, good father. So this word, believing this word is essential if we want to walk by your spirit. And as we believe the word of God, we become empowered to to do the things he's calling us to do. But don't separate walking in the spirit from your hard copy Bible. They go together. And I've seen that. I've seen on both sides. I've seen people get legalistic with their hard copy Bible and become very dry and ignorant of the things of the Spirit. But they're sticklers on their Bible, boy. And then I've seen others who kind of leave the hard copy Bible and just kind of float into wherever they're quote unquote feeling led. And oftentimes what's leading them is not the Holy Spirit because they're not grounded in their hard copy Bible. You need the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Not one or the other, okay? There's there's a reason God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is He we need each person of the Trinity in our lives. Hallelujah. Jesus is the Word of God, His Word is Spirit and life. Let's go on to Galatians 5.25. Galatians 5.25. When we believe the word of God, it empowers us to walk by our spirit. It empowers our spirit to lead the way and to act on the Word of God. Hallelujah. Faith in His Word, it gives us the strength to act on it. And, oh, I love Jesus. He's so good. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that made us new creations. Let's not stop there. Let's live by the Spirit now, all right? I mean, being born again is more wonderful than I can ever describe. But that's the beginning, right? That's the start of this new life. Now we want to move forward into the fullness of the Father's plan, right? The New Living Translation says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I love that. God is an intimate God. Jesus says he cares for the very hairs on your head. They're numbered. That's it. What is he trying to say? He's saying God intimately cares for you. He knows everything about you and he loves you perfectly. If something concerns you, it concerns him and he will accomplish it. So we want the Holy Spirit to be involved in every area of our lives. Well, how do we do that? We put a simple little statement together last week. We said, with our mouths, we say the same thing as God. Yes. With our minds, we think the same thing as God. And with our heart, we believe the same thing as God. Right. That's a, a simple little way to, 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 to help you walk in the Spirit. With our mouths, we say what God says. We, we train ourselves, okay? And as you start doing this and you hear something come out of your mouth that's contrary to what God says, you'll, you'll notice a quick check and you'll change what you say, right? So with our mouth, we, we learn to say what God says. With our mind, we learn to think God's thoughts. And with our heart, we learn to believe as He believes, These are the three key elements of walking by your spirit. Your mouth, your mind, and your heart. They're all involved. If you leave one of them out, it's not going to work. All right? We don't get rid of our mind when we come to Christ. We renew it. Right? We bring it under the authority of the person and revelation of Christ. Hallelujah. So I'm I'm just captivated by Jesus. Uh, He's... He's our example in this. He's demonstrated to us how to know the Father intimately, how to keep the devil under your feet, how to walk in the abundant life that the Father has purposed for you. And he's the one that we, that we um, look to. And we, we saw, we're not going to go back and read these scriptures again, um, but in Philippians 2 verse 5 exhorts us to have the same mind the same attitude, and the same purpose as Christ. That's not just for a full-time minister. That's for every human being, all right? That's for all of us. Why? Because we're made in his image. There are, there are things that apply to all of us, and this is one of them. Every human being was made to have the same mind, the same attitude, the same purpose of Christ, and it's when you adopt his attitude, his mind, and his purpose that the real you opens up. See, it's in Christ that you are found, not by by being separate from him. The real you is found by giving your real you to him. And then Jesus says that. He said, if he wants to save his life, will lose it. But if you'll lose your life for me, you'll find it. Hallelujah. It's good. Give your whole life to him. Just give your whole life to Him, and you'll end up finding the life you were born for. Hallelujah. Let's look at this mind and attitude and purpose of Jesus. Psalm 40, verse 8, we're just going to touch on these. I want you to to, uh, make note of these, meditate on them. These will help you to walk in the Spirit, by your Spirit. Psalm 40, verse 8, this is the... The, the attitude and mind of Jesus he says I delight to do your will oh my God and your law is written within my heart your law is within my heart I delight it is a pleasure to me to do your will it's better than going to Somerset Creamery okay. yeah Jennifer I went there for the first time what, last week it's better than that I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your laws within my heart. I look forward to pleasing you more than I look forward to an almond joy, mocha chip, ice cream cone. I'm serious. Right? Luke 2.49. This is a 12-year-old Jesus talking. At 12 years old, he, was, he already had the right attitude. I must be about my father's business. That's a focused young man. I must be about my father's business. Same attitude, same mind, same purpose is to be in us. So you don't have to wonder what his mind and attitude, his purpose is. It's just read it and imitate it. It's simple, isn't it? John 8, 29 says, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Why did he always do the things that please him? Because that was his mind, his attitude, and his purpose. I always do the things that please him. Whenever I have a decision to make, I train myself to let that be the first thing I think of. What pleases you, Father? Not what people want me to do not what society says or what my family thinks. Father, what pleases you? What direction do you want me to go? Mm-hmm. I like how the message says, it says, the one who sent me, this is John 8, 29, the one who sent me stays with me. He doesn't abandon me. He sees how much joy I take in pleasing him. I want you, I don't know if I ever, most people like ice cream, but I want you to imagine yourself with a big waffle cone of your favorite ice cream. And you know how good that first lick is, right? Well, I want you to take that pleasure and, and, and multiply it exponentially when you're thinking of pleasing the Father. How much joy, how much pleasure it gives me to know I'm, I'm saying yes to Him. Yeah. In every area of my life, He's the pleasure of my heart. Didn't we just sing that? What do we say? Pleasure of my heart and of my treasure. Oh, that same thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's my pleasure. He's my treasure. Mm. Yeah. John 2, verse 17. We're looking at the mind and the attitude of Jesus. This is the Amplified Translation. It says, zeal, the fervor of love, for your house will eat me up. I will be consumed with jealousy for the honor of your house. No one, including his parents, were, no one in his life were, were encouraging him to think this way. No one. No one was saying, yeah, Jesus. People close to his family got mad at him for his zeal for God's house. They thought he lost his mind. Have you read your hard copy Bible? They thought he had lost his mind, his own siblings. There's one place they came to talk with him, and they couldn't get in because of the crowd. His disciples said, your your brother, sister, and mother out here. He said, who are my mother, brother, and sisters? Have you read this in your hard copy Bible? That's what he said. Did he forget his biological family? Of course not. What did he say? Those who do my will. Those who do the will of the Father, those are my mother, brother, and sisters. Wow. No one, no one was in his life to encourage him in these things but the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures. That's why at age 12 he was studying the Scriptures. New Century Version says this of verse 17. My strong love for your temple completely controls me. We're talking about walking by your spirit, having the same mind, attitude, and purpose of Jesus. This is for all of us. The Passion Translation says, I am consumed with a fiery passion to keep your house pure. Love that. This is the essence of walking by your spirit, making, pleasing him the passion and pleasure of your life. This is the essence of relationship with him. It is likened unto a marriage in the scriptures. We as a husband I gave my whole self to my wife, as a as a wife she gave her whole self to me. God wants nothing less than the whole your whole self. Isn't that awesome? You know, you really don't love until you give your whole self. You can't be married to someone if you don't give your whole self to them. So I left everything to be married to Jennifer. She left everything to be married to me. There are some who didn't want that to happen because they had a bad attitude. Some were jealous or whatever, but we did it anyway. Because we loved each other. There are some who don't want you to give your everything to Jesus. They think that's foolish. I've been, been there many times. Gone through some very severe, almost violent rejection of for following Christ. But Jesus had to stay tight with the Father because his own family was telling him to stop. That he'd lost his mind. Let's talk a little bit more about this fiery passion. You remember the hot tub we enjoyed last week? We learned that this word zeal in the Greek is talking about a boiling passion, hot passion. There are different levels and different types of passion. There are some passions that are unique to you. And we're all individuals, and we have individual passions. You might, you might really get moved by mathematics. Or you might get moved by, by quality literature. Oh, my wife says, come on. Yeah, she, she loves literature. You might get moved by uh, starting your own business and learning that the free market you might get moved by, by um, science. You might get moved by interior design. You might get moved by the creative fields. You might get moved by medicine. You, there's all kinds of things that might stir a passion in you. That they may not stir in someone else, and that's okay. Because you're you, and what God's... You'll know there's things in you that will just kind of light you up. Ooh. You know, I need to I need to pursue that. I need to follow. You want to do the you want to see, God's put a passion in you that you're to, to prosper from, that you're to cultivate and develop and and profit from financially. Did you know that? You're to profit from your passion. It's not the only reason for it. But I, I didn't see that growing up. I see I saw adults making decisions to go into fields because of the um finances they, they would, would make, the, the, the salaries they would earn or the security they thought they would have, and they were empty inside. They wore themselves out trying to get that piece of the pie, right? But that's not how you're to live. God's put passions in you to, to cultivate, to develop, and to profit from. How do you know what those are? You won't have to ask long. You probably already know. Especially if you start spending time with him, they'll they'll just rise to the surface. For example, there were two passions in me. I didn't understand them because I didn't grow up hearing the things you're hearing. I had a passion to preach and a passion to write and play music. I didn't see the point in either one of those as a kid. I thought, where am I going to do these? I don't even know what these are. Why Why am I taking walks in the woods and speaking to trees? That's what I used to do. 11, 12 years old. I didn't know. I just had to. I didn't know what preaching was. There I was, a boy, you know, twelve years old, walking in the woods, preaching messages, and knowing any scriptures, but there was a passion in me. And I had no one to even tell me what that was. I had no Bible. Now I came to know Christ and looked back and I say, well look God, look what you did in me. Look what you put in me and look where I am now. But there's things in you and you don't have to be in the dark like I was, you can know, because <laughs> you're in the light, right? what's in you, God has has put in you so that you can cultivate and profit richly from it. Richly from it. Richly from it. That you be set for the rest of your life from the passions he's put in you. Now, along with that, those are unique passions, but there are universal passions for every human being. There is the ultimate, universal passion, the passion, and what is that? To know God intimately. It's for every human being. To know God intimately and walk with him in my life. I say my, meaning all of us. This is for every human being. There is no human being that is outside of this passion. It's in the heart of every human being. It might be expressed differently, but it's in there. Let's look at this in chap- Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're talking about the passion that every human heart was designed for. Okay? So this is for you. If you're a human and you have a heart, this is for your heart. All right? This is not, we're not talking about full-time ministry. We're not talking about a certain field of study or a certain talent or gift. We're talking about you as a human being. This is the passion that every human heart was designed for, to know God intimately and to walk with Him through each day of their lives. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's go to verse 11, and we're going to read it in the Amplified. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. The New Living Translation says he planted it in the human heart. It planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. A divinely implanted sense of a purpose, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Paul articulated clearly this purpose in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 10, when he said, my determined purpose is that I might know him, become progressively more deeply and intimately acquainted with the wonders of his person. That is the passion you were made for. And that is the chief passion that is to guide every other passion. In fact, until you awaken this passion inside of you, your other passions are limited and will lead you in in directions you maybe shouldn't go. Because the chief passion will direct all other passions. And uh, we've seen it time and time again where people who have giftings in their lives and they achieve what the world would say is great success, but they have a, a, a life that's just empty and, and shattered and they end up taking their life or losing their life. And we say, how? Why did that happen? We, it looked, looked like to us they had everything, but they didn't have the chief passion guiding every other passion. God puts gifts in you, whatever you use those gifts for is up to you. You can use them for ungodly things or for selfish things he 's not going to take them away. He loves you. so we can't uh, so you can say there's someone so gifted and they didn 't know the Lord. Well, God loves them. He gave them those things he 's not a stingy, uh, grumpy father. He gives you something it 's yours, but you can use it for ungodly things. That doesn't please him, but he's not going to take them away from you. So you can't tell if someone's following God by the quote-unquote success they achieve. Did you hear me? You can't tell if someone's following God by what the world calls success. So while they've got a certain amount of money, they've got a certain amount of followers, they've uh, they've won a Nobel Peace Prize, whatever that is, that doesn't spell success in the kingdom of God. What does? Pleasing him. This is the passion of our lives. Hallelujah. You didn't fall asleep, did you? I hope not because I'll be talking to myself up here. (laughs) Where did Jesus get this passion from? Well, eh. I mean, Jesus had this consuming zeal for the things of God. Where would it come from? Listen to me. Don't get religious with this. He chose to believe God's word. We got to take some time here because I don't want you to miss this. Religious tradition has wrongly exalted Jesus. They've turned him into a stained glass window and a marble statue. That's not him. Stay with me. Don't get mad at me. I'm just just a a pastor who loves you. (laughs) He's never been a window, a stained glass window, and he's never been a marble statue. What has religious tradition done? Religious tradition, if it reads the Bible, will say, well, Jesus was this this special someone that did all these special things, and that was special Jesus, but now there's me. And I just got to kind of muddle through somehow. And I admire special Jesus, but I can't do those things because I'm not like Jesus. There's only one Jesus. Jesus. Well, I say regularly here, and I'll say it again, you have to understand the role of Jesus, the purpose. He had a a dual role. He was the Lamb of God, the only one who could do what he did as our substitute. He's the only one who's ever been conceived in the womb of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's special. Absolutely. I'm not demeaning him in any way, shape, or form. He is as special as special gets, okay? He, as the Lamb of God, all right? Along with his role as the Lamb of God, which he is the one and only, the only begotten Son of God, he also emptied himself of his godliness, it says in Philippians, and came to earth as a baby, what did he say when he came out of the womb? Wee! Right, 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 right. That's probably like verbatim what he said. <laughs> I'm like quoting baby Jesus. Wee! <laughs> Wasn't that what babies say when they come they out? They yeah. He didn't come out quoting scripture. <laughs> he didn't come out and lay hands on Mary. <laughs> he came out wee, wee. They had to clean him and care for him. He was hungry. He had to be breastfed. Are we okay? Marble statues don't do this. You can't breastfeed a stained glass window. What are we talking about? The humanity of Jesus. He was all God and he was all man. Before he was conceived in the womb of a virgin, he was all God. He had never been a man. That God became a man boing to our natural reasoning, right? And people will get mad at me for saying this, but he became a man. The scriptures clearly teach this. Your mind might be blocked with the religious goggles you got on, but the scriptures teach this. He actually came out of the womb, he was came into the earth like you did. And he said what you said. Wing. Why is that important? Because he didn't know God. Babies don't know anything. (laughs) They don't. Have you ever had a conversation with a one-day-old? It's kind of (laughs) one-sided. They don't talk. They're not thinking. I'm not putting down babies. I love babies. But, you know, they're not uh, very articulate, are we doing okay they haven't read any books they haven't had they don't have any scriptures memorized all they know is if they're hungry or wet that's all they know and they don't even know how to say that they way that's their conversation right or goo 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 so if they're wet and fed it's goo 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 if they're excuse me if they're dry and fed (laughs) if they're wet and hungry it's way so it's either goo goo or where that's their vocabulary right that was Jesus' vocabulary, goo-goo and wha. <laughs> Man, this is some good Bible study right here. I'm loving this. I don't think I've ever preached this before. <laughs> the goo-goo and wah" of Jesus. Okay. What am I trying to say? He grew up as a little baby. He made stinky diapers. He couldn't walk. He rolled around on the ground. Uh, Joseph had to chase him. And keep him from doing things he shouldn't have done? He was a kid, just like you are. You were. (laughs) Right? Or if you're you're a kid now, just like you are. Right? He had to learn about his destiny the same way you have to learn about it. By the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I hope you haven't tuned me out. Because this is so important. That's why we see him at 12. He, was, he, he had made this practice as a boy to be in church regularly, hearing the scriptures, listening to the teachers, and asking questions. That's how he developed this fiery zeal for his father. And that's how you will develop it. I hope you fully embrace what I just shared with you. Because it's how it's done. If you think Jesus just came into the earth knowing everything, in fact, if you'll look in, and we're not going to go there for time's sake, but you can read Luke chapter 2. I think it starts around verse 40 and goes all the way to the end. It says at least, I think it says twice there, that Jesus grew and increased in wisdom and favor. God has never grown. God can't grow. He's perfect. What's it talking about? The person, the, Jesus, the boy, the man. He had to learn the knowledge of his father and his destiny by going to church and studying the scriptures, having good teachers in his life that would teach him the scriptures. And he'd, he'd, his whole life being in church was a priority to him. From the time he was a boy, that's how he cultivated this fiery zeal for the father. I know that takes all the the fantasy and romance out of it maybe for you, but it's true anyway. We like to Hollywoodize Jesus. Like he came into the earth as a baby and he got out of the crib and he laid hands on people. you know. But that's not what the scriptures teach. He became a man and he came to know his father just like you're to know your father. By coming to church, listening to the messages that are preached, studying the scriptures... And, and, and cultivating this zeal for the things of God. Hallelujah. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. You see, the fiery passion of Jesus, when you choose... Now, when I say believe God's word, that Jesus got his passion by believing God's word... I don't mean believing God's word is true. That really is not going to help you a whole lot. You know, I I believe the Bible is God's word. Well, whoop de doo You know, you don't get any rewards for that. What do I mean by believing the Bible? Applying it specifically to every area of your life. In the midst of your challenge, you grab a hold of what God says and you stick it to the devil. And you say, no, God, it is written... That he who the Son sets free is free indeed, and I'm free. It is written, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Whatever the situation is, that's what I'm talking about, believing God. That when when something contrary to the Father confronted boy Jesus, he chose to stay with what God said. That's what I'm talking about. That's where this fiery zeal comes from. Fiery zeal is not going to come from, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. No, fiery zeal comes from real life living, real life standing on what he said. Because when you're faced with things, it gets hot. And I've been in some hot situations and I made a decision that I'm going to stand on what God says no matter what it looks like or how I feel because he is my father now. That's where the fiery zeal comes from. So don't religify believing God's Word. I'm talking about grabbing a hold of it in your everyday situations and purposing to experience every last drop of it, no matter what anybody says. That's the kind of fire we're talking about. So Jesus cultivated this by spending time hearing the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures, and acting on the Scriptures. Now, do you know the Scriptures reveal God as fire? Let's look at it. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a zealous God. Some say jealous. This translation, uh, the Young's literal, says a zealous God. We're getting to know our Father. That means He refuses to give in to the devil. He refuses to accept anything the devil says. He refuses to give the devil an inch in his life. See, you're getting to know the Father now. So what is the nature of our Father? He's a consuming fire. He's a passionate God. He's not a marble statue or a stained glass window. He's hot and he's fresh and he's fire. Hebrews 12, verse 27, we're doing what Jesus did. See, Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew the God of the scriptures. He listened and he practiced them and he exercised them in the face of opposition. This is where the fire comes from. Verse 27, and this expression, yes, once more. Now, okay, boy, I tell you, God, you're so good. You know, Jesus faced opposition before he started his ministry. We see that in Luke chapter 2. He wanted to know the Father more, and his own parents scolded him for it. You can read that in Luke chapter 2. He was so focused on knowing his Father and being in church, his own parents scolded him for it. That's opposition, friends. Right. He was a good boy, and he, he, he submitted to them. Right. But that was a challenge right there. Imagine your mom and dad telling you you're following God too much. Right. Right. That's an opposition. Yeah. He did the right thing. He submitted to them, but he kept his heart, his heart hot. Yeah. He kept pursuing the Lord and submitted to them. Right? Hebrews 12, 27. And this expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, talking about natural things, as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken, spiritual things, may remain. I'm telling you, if, you, if you're living for the world's definition of success, you're in for a, a, an awakening that's going to be very sad because this natural realm is going away. I hope you don't love it or anything in it because it's fading fast. It's the spiritual things that are going to remain. It's we may as well start valuing them now. We may as well start being spiritually minded now. We may as well start filling your mind with spiritual things now, because that's what's going to last with the things that cannot be shaken. Verse twenty-eight. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, it's a spiritual kingdom. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Second scripture about God being a fire. There are so many we don't have time to read them. But let's read that same passage in the message translation. Verse 27 of Hebrews 12. The phrase one last shaking means a thorough house cleaning. Getting rid of all the historical and religious junk. Amen to that. To that, so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. How about let's do that right now. How about we do a spring cleaning of your thinking? Come on, let's get rid of all the historical and religious junk in your thinking. Let's take out all the old chairs of religion. Come on, let's get rid of all those nasty mattresses of religious tradition that have been in the attic of your thinking for decades. Let's take them to the dumpster where they belong, and let's get get some fire of God in us. Hallelujah. Stand clear. God wants you to stand clear and uncluttered and unshakable. He wants our mind to be full of the unshakable essentials of the reality of who He is. Hallelujah. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom, verse 28. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming (laughs) with worship. We're brimming with worship. We're brimming with worship. Hallelujah. We're deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. Listen to verse 29. He's actively cleaning house. Torching all that needs to burn. And he won't quit until it's all cleansed. God himself is fire. God himself is fire. If I had a fire emoji I could put up in the above my head, I'd do it. Fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. God himself is fire. Amen. Well, if God is fire, then His Word must be fire. So if you meditate in His Word, His fire will grow in you. My words are spirit and they are life. My words are fire and they are life. Jeremiah 23, 29. Uh Uh-oh, look at this. Is not my word like fire? (laughs) Declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. If you've read your hard copy Bible, you know the New Testament began with fire. The New Testament church was born with fire. In fact, you know, John the Baptist was not New Testament. You know that, right? He was a precursor to the New Testament. He prepared the way for Christ. He wasn't the Christ, right? He said, I'm baptizing with water, but there's one coming after me. I'm not even qualified to tie his shoes. and He's going to baptize you with fire. Hallelujah. I like to meet Christians who are on fire. Hallelujah. Those are my kind of folks. They're full of the fire of, of passion and zeal for the things of God. Mark... Chapter 311, we already, I just said it to you. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We had uh, in our home, talking about fire and boiling passion, our home is heated by uh, a boiler, oil. And uh, several winters ago, our boiler died in February. February and we have like eight heating zones in our home. And it was cold. might have even been January. It was like the the dead of winter. And the instrument that produces heat in our home died. And guess what? The whole atmosphere of our home changed. Now, I've never had to replace a, that was the first boiler I've had to replace in my lifetime. I didn't do it personally, but I had to learn about what was even wrong. And I didn't know about how, how it all worked. But the whole atmosphere of our home changed. It got really cold everywhere in our home really fast. So first I woke up in the morning like, ooh, what's the heat? not on? what's going on here? You know, you, you, know I, you check the thermostat. Well, the thermostats are up. I don't hear anything. <laughs> Okay, go down into the boiler room. The boiler's not running. Hmm. You start, you know, troubleshooting, and then you call someone who knows what they're doing to come out and check on it, and he gives you the good news. Your boiler is gone to heaven, buddy. Right? It's dead. Right? And I said, okay. So, and, and, you know, you can't just pull one of those out of your your truck can put it in. You have to order and all that stuff. So here we are in the dead of winter in this cold atmosphere. Thankfully, God always provides. We, did have, we, do, we do have a propane fireplace, so we all moved to the living room. <laughs> we all slept downstairs by the propane fireplace. That's where we lived until that boiler got put in. And the, the guy was great, and he ordered one. And I think within a matter of days, uh, within, I think for sure within a week, uh, we had a new boiler in. But even when he put the new boiler in, he had to put a special ingredient inside of that boiler to protect the pipes from the coal, because of the way our pipes run in our home. Uh, we were at the homes on a slab, so some of our pipes go up and through the ceiling, not down in the basement. So he had the expertise to, to uh, install this new boiler and prevent from what happening, prevent what happened from happening again. But inside of you is a boiler. It's called your spirit. When we separated ourselves from God, our boiler died. And we went cold. And it's a dark life when your boiler's dead, it's a cold life. Your heart doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. You get involved in relationships that, that end up disastrous or shallow, or you get hurt. You end up going in directions you shouldn't go because your boiler is dead. But when you look to the Father and accept the gift of his Son and you confess Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit installs a new boiler in you. It's a new spirit and it works perfectly. And then he gives you the ingredients of his word that will prevent your pipes from freezing again. And I have felt very strongly the Lord encouraging all of us to turn the boiler up. To get hot for him. Don't make the mistake of thinking things are going to be like they are today, tomorrow. Things are not going to continue as they were. To some degree, they will until Jesus comes. They'll be, you know, given in marriage and, you know, so to some degree, it'll just be like it always was. But there's something happening in the earth. And if you're not fiery hot, you're going to miss it. If you're not fiery hot for the things of God, it's going to pass you by. I am here to tell you that. How do you keep your boiler? You know, we have to order oil. It's oil that burns in our boiler. The Holy Spirit is the oil of God. He's the fire of God. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have a hot boiler inside of you. You've got the oil and you've got the fire. How do you keep the thermostat up? Look at Philippians 4. We're almost done, okay? Philippians 4. Philippians 4, just in case you think that this passion is not for you, that this is only for a select few, let's look at some scriptures that reveal to us the passion I'm sharing with you is for every human heart. You'll notice a number of these throughout the Bible, but God will give us these exhortations that are superlative and extreme. Like Philippians 4, verse 4 says to rejoice in the Lord every third Sunday. If it's a leap year. No, sorry, that's not what it says. Wrong translation. Rejoice in the Lord 24 7. That's fire. That's fire. Delight, gladden yourselves in Him. Again, I say rejoice. Can I read you some definitions and synonyms for rejoice? To feel and show great joy or delight. Feel and show great joy and delight in the Lord all the time. Be elated. Be ecstatic in the Lord all the time. Be pleased as punch in the Lord all the time. Find satisfaction in the Lord all the time. To be full, I love this, to be full of lively and pleasurable sensations all the time in the Lord. Where's the fire in this? I'll tell you where the fire is because you're going to be confronted with things that are going to try and take your fire. We don't rejoice in the Lord always because we feel like it. There are times in your life it's going to be a sacrifice of joy. It's going to be a sacrifice of praise but you bring it. You don't allow yourself to get discouraged. Don't allow your hearts to be troubled. Don't allow yourself to be intimidated. Don't allow yourself to be cowardly or unsettled. You stand on what God has said and you begin to worship Him for it. You begin to praise Him that it is so in your life today, no matter what it looks like. And that's when the boiler starts kicking in. When you choose to rejoice in Him instead of saying, woe is me how bad things are. Oh, I wish I would have done this or I could, didn't do that or I failed again and oh, this isn't going right and oh, look what's going on and look who so and so is. No, uh-uh. We, we're, we're engaged with the Father. We're, we're, we're united with the oil and fire of God. He's boiling inside of us and we cultivate that by standing on His Word and rejoicing in the reality of it knowing that it's true for us now. I am who you say I am. I have what you say I have. I can do what you say I can do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to you. I'm filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And that same spirit is giving resurrection life to every part of my being. This is, these are boiler scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 16, be full of lively and pleasurable sensations. Be elated, be ecstatic, be pleased as punch. Always. Pray without ceasing. Has he lost his mind? Who wrote this? Holy Ghost. He is the mind of God. We have that same mind in us. How do you pray without ceasing? It's easy. I just get down on my knees in my closet, and I say, um, Dear Lord, bless this food. Um, bless, bless my dog. And I do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No. Prayer is fellowship with God. I get up. I spend time with him. But I, as I go throughout the day, I'm still fellowshipping with him. Don't religify prayer. It's not about, uh, you know, I, I, yes, you get in your closet. That's valuable. You have to have that time alone with him to, to just be you and he. But you don't live in your closet. That would be disturbing, wouldn't it? Where's Joseph? Up in a closet. Bring his lunch up there. you know No, you don't live there. There's no food there. I hope there's no food in your closet. You, don't keep, you probably keep Oreos under your socks. Is that what you do? You got Oreos in your sock drawer. I knew it. No, we don't live in our closet. We live in, the, we, we live in everywhere we go, we're living. So we're praying, we're fellowshipping with him. We're speaking to the situations of our life. We're believing him. We're resisting the enemy everywhere we go without ceasing. This is how we live. The boiler's always on. We're rejoicing in Him. We're, we're elated with Him. We're ecstatic. We're pleased as punch that He loves us. We're pleased as punch that He knows us and He's leading us. And everywhere we go, we're cultivating this without ceasing. Amen. This is the fire I'm talking about. Verse 18, in everything, oh, come on. Yeah, not for everything, in everything. Big difference, huge difference. It's time we go, oh boy. Jennifer was just sharing with you, she was listening to Charles Capp's podcast, and, and he was talking about a grandfather who took his grandson uh, to watch the fire trucks put out fires. And, and they, that was just something they they'd do, so they learned of a fire, and they would go watch the firemen come and put the fires out. And after a while, the little boy asked the grandfather, why does that truck drive around town starting fires? <laughs> That's what the boy thought. He thought, every time we go, that that truck's there. That truck must be the one starting fires. People do that with God. That truck wasn't starting the fire. That truck came to the scene of the fire to put out the fire. God is not causing bad things to happen. He's not allowing bad things to happen. He comes to the scene to fix the thing. So not for everything, in everything. In every situation, we're giving thanks because God's fire truck is there. And he's putting out. He's fixing the problem. We don't thank him for everything. In everything. You see the difference? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So it's the will of God for your boiler to be hopped. For you to be elated and pleased as punch. To be full of lively and pleasurable sensations. Sensations. Psalm 5, verse 11, last scripture, verses 11 and 12. Here we go. But let all those who take refuge and put their trust in you be full of lively and pleasurable sensations. Be ecstatic. Show great joy and delight. Be pleased as punch. Find satisfaction in you. Let them ever sing. I hope you're singing as you go throughout your day. I'm not talking about trying to win American Idol. I'm talking about praising him. Praising him. Let the song of your heart be, thank you, Jesus, for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for causing me to win in every area of my life. Let them ever sing and shout for joy. This is how Jesus cultivated his fire. In the midst of his challenges, he chose to praise and worship his father. And that will build a fire in you. Let them ever sing and shout for joy because you make a covering over them and defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you and be in high spirits. Hallelujah. Let me read that again. But let all those who take refuge and put their trust in you rejoice. Let them ever, that's 24-7, cultivate this in your life. You should be shouting on a daily basis for joy. You say, I don't have anything to shout about. Excuse me? Did God give his son for you? Did Christ lay down his glory and come to earth as a wah baby for you? Then you've got something to shout about. You don't have a sad song to sing. No matter what we've been through, we've got a song of victory to sing because Christ has come. So we can shout and we can sing every day of our lives because Jesus is our song of victory. Hallelujah. We've got a happy song. Because of Jesus, he's changed the song. He's turned it from tragedy to triumph. Hallelujah. From melancholy to merry. Hallelujah. From sad to happy. From damned to blessed. From condemned to righteous. From a sinner to a saint. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let them ever sing and shout. You you might be dealing with some, some areas you're struggling in. Start singing and shouting in those areas. Come on, start singing and shouting in those areas. You won't get advice like this everywhere you go. But jump right into those areas and start praising Him start shouting, start jumping up and down, start worshiping Him and saying, Thank you, Father. You're living strong in me. Your Word is working mightily in me. Your will is done in my life just as it is in heaven. I'm free. I'm strong. I'm in you. And you're loving me perfectly. Yes, yes, yes. Let them ever sing and shout for joy. Why? Because you make a covering over them. Because you defend them. God's defending you. God's made a covering over you. Don't be sad. Don't be afraid. Rejoice. Your Father is God. Your Father is fire. Because you make a covering over them and defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful you and be in high spirits. Why? Verse 12. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. Who's the righteous? You. Yes, you are but I just did that yesterday. You're righteous. God made you righteous. He gave you His righteousness through His Son. For you bless your children. You bless the righteous with favor. You will surround Him as with a shield. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's called walking by Your Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your boiler in us. Thank you for giving us a new boiler. Thank you for removing that dead one and giving us a boiler that's, that's new and fresh and vibrant. You recreated us in Christ Jesus. You gave us a new spirit. And we're united with you and you've put your oil and your fire in us. And what a combustion it makes. What a fire is burning. Lord, we... We get rid of the clutter and the religious junk out of our thinking. And we embrace who you are. We can't have a relationship with a statue or a stained glass window. The only way we can have a relationship is if it's with you, the living God. You are a consuming fire. And it is with great delight that we say, Consume us. Consume us. We are yours to burn. We live for you and for you alone. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of his goodness, who he is, what he's done for you, and who you are in him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life he came to give you.